Merry Christmas. What a wonderful day it is to gather and worship our God. I'm so glad you're here. I'm especially glad you're here as we are telling the stories of Christmas. Once Upon a Christmas is our theme for the whole month of December, and it just means that we're listening to and telling all the stories of our Christmases, but especially the story of the Christmas. Maybe you'll take this idea home with you and sometime over the Christmas holidays, just ask somebody you're with, what's your favorite Christmas story? And let them tell you their Christmas story. And of course, I hope you'll invite somebody with you uh, tomorrow or the next day to one of our Christmas Eve services so they can hear the Christmas story, the story of Jesus. The whole idea behind this series is that if we stop and listen to the little stories, the unexpected stories, we can learn something profound about the great, big Christmas story. And that's just what we're gonna do today. We're gonna hear an unexpected Christmas story from somebody whose voice we don't often hear. We've imagined the Christmas story of a servant girl in Herod's palace who got to meet the wise men and hear their story. And today, we will hear hers. Welcome to Once Upon a Christmas. I have served at the pleasure of a madman. And now, so will you. And I'm sorry about that, but the time for tears is over. None of us wanted to be sold into this place, but we were, so accept it. There is no way out. I'm sorry. It's okay. You're okay. I'm going to help you, and you're going to be okay. All right? Now, what did you say your name was again? Right. Okay. Listen. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that he's not as bad as you've heard because the truth is, whatever you've heard, he's all of that and worse. Hey, hey, it's okay. You're okay. Deep breath. Good. Look, if you're going to survive, you need to know everything up front so you aren't caught off guard. And the first thing you need to know is that Herod is everything you've heard and more. But hear me now. He is no great. And he is no king of the Jews. I know that. And now you know that. You have to serve him like he is, but you don't have to believe it. You and I know the truth. He built the temple, sure, but I've been cleaning the blood off the floors for years. Every time he kills someone, he perceives as a threat to his throne. I know just how much blood he has on his hands. His brothers, his wife, his sons. No. He is no great, and he is no king of the Jews. He's a paranoid coward. And just when you think he can't get any worse, he does. 
he's sick. And not just mentally, that much is obvious, but actually sick, dying. He's more dangerous, more paranoid now than he ever has been. We all tiptoe around him as it is, but lately it's not enough. That's why he suddenly needed a new servant. And here you are. I would say welcome, but I'm sorry seems more appropriate. So, I'm sorry. To stay alive, keep these rules in mind anytime you're in the same room as Herod. One, don't speak, even when spoken to. Respond with action or silence. Herod has no interest in what you have to say. Two, do everything he asks without hesitation. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. You belong to him now. You're Herod's property, and he expects you to behave like property. Three, control your face. It doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what you hear. Don't let your emotions reach your face. He's easily offended, and you don't want to be on the receiving end of his rage especially today. And finally, don't hope. Hope for nothing, and you won't be disappointed. What you have to understand is Herod's rage is always there, bubbling just below the surface. And ever since the disturbance, he's lost all ability to conceal it. 26 days ago, some foreigners arrived from the east in Jerusalem. They asked the wrong questions, dangerous questions, questions that can get a person killed. These foreigners spoke of a king of the Jews, another king of the Jews, a child a baby. They came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? We observed his star at its rising and have come to worship him. And of course, that touched on every fear Herod has. He stopped sleeping. He started wandering the halls at night, barefoot, muttering to himself. Everything we served him from the kitchens was found to be poorly prepared. He suddenly had no interest in any of his wives. Nothing and no one could appease or satisfy him, much less approach him. Then he summoned the priests and teachers. We were told to prepare a feast. I was to serve them all that evening. It turned out to be a night I'll never forget. The feast was just a show. Herod had brought them to the palace for an interrogation. The dinner went on for hours, even though no one touched any of the delicacies we placed before them. Their plates remained full, their wine glasses never sipped. I quickly realized that this threat to Herod was unlike any other. This was more than someone plotting to overthrow him, different from every overly loud critic different from the sons he deemed unworthy to inherit his throne, different from Miriam, his favorite wife, 
who spoke her mind just enough to be dangerous, different from every execution he had ever ordered. This was about a child, a peasant baby boy, and a prophesied messiah. This wasn't a political maneuver. This was about God. So Herod summoned the priests and teachers to question them about prophecies. Prophecies I knew by heart. I stood against the wall, tasked with unnecessarily waiting to refill plates and cups that never emptied. First, Herod had wanted to know about the star. One of the priests answered him by quoting the Torah. The passage was from Numbers. He recited, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. Herod blinked with confusion and irritation in response. A second priest answered him by reciting a passage from Isaiah. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. I saw Herod begin to clench and unclench his fists. I recognized the mannerism, but fought the urge to retreat to the kitchens. What else? Herod growled. Silence. He asked again, louder this time. What else do you know of prophecies surrounding the Jewish Messiah? They told him he's to be born of a virgin mother who will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. At this, Herod snorted. And do you know of any mothers who claim virginity? They told them he, they didn't. He smirked. What else? A priest responded, telling him that the prophesied king was to be a descendant of David. Herod's smirk disappeared then. Royal blood of the Davidic line could be an actual threat. And the passage that says this? Herod asked through gritted teeth. There are several, the priests replied. Again, Herod's fists clenched. Recite them, the priest obeyed. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. 
The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. I sucked in a breath of air, and another servant gave me a warning glance, though neither Herod nor his guests had heard me. I knew that passage by heart. I could have recited it along with the priest. I could see Herod's face turning redder, his jaw becoming more set and rigid. I knew that describing so many people groups gathering under a new king was dangerous, even in the context of reciting scripture as commanded, which was all the priest had done. But he recited it so boldly. I wondered if he had chosen to hope. And the others, Herod asked in a dangerously quiet voice as he picked up his cup of wine and took a drink for the first time that evening. Again, the same priest opened his mouth and began to recite another passage from Isaiah. I closed my eyes and listened to the familiar words wash over me. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. It had been so long since I'd heard those words. Tears stung my closed eyelids. I hated myself for it. I was tired, I told myself. This was ridiculous. Don't misunderstand me. I want to believe that God will send the Messiah he promised just as much as the next Jew, but sometimes it feels like a fabricated story for people who are weak and can't handle the harsh realities of life. And I am not weak. And I understand the reality of my situation. I know who I work for, and that when he dies, I will work for another king just like him. This is my life, and this will always be my life, so what hope is there to be had? Sure, a bright star has appeared, and sure, some important men have traveled a long way to worship some newborn because of it, but that's only two small parts of the prophecy. We know nothing about a virgin mother or a special child descended from David. Hope is dangerous in situations like ours. Just because the night sky is suddenly a little brighter and some foreigners say that that's somehow significant? There are a limited amount of times someone can stand to have their hope shattered. There are only so many times you can put yourself back together once you've been broken. Because every time you do, 
you find more and more pieces of yourself are missing. And then you have to replace them with something harder. Something that doesn't break as easily. I had hoped before. And I was disappointed. But. But. Here I was. Against my better judgment. Wanting to choose. My eyes flew open to the sound of pottery shattering against the wall. Herod had thrown his cup across the dining room. I started to move to clean up the mess, but another servant put out his hand to stop me. He was right. When Herod was in the mood to break things, he didn't ordinarily stop with just cups. It was best to remain out of his sight. I was too enraged, he was too enraged to notice the red wine dripping down the walls and onto the floor anyway. An unbearable silence followed. Where? Herod whispered. I stilled again. The teachers looked uncomfortable. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? He asked, louder. Where? The teachers suddenly had a newfound interest in the palace floor. My heart beat so loudly I was sure everyone would hear it. I knew the answer to that question. Every Jew in the room knew the answer to that question, but surely, surely no one was stupid enough to answer it. Messiah or not, you never tell a king where to point his sword. Everything in me screamed for the guests to keep their mouths shut. But Herod screamed louder. Tell me where! And then, the most ostentatiously dressed priest cleared his throat and recited the telling passage from Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Bethlehem. The child is to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David's birth. Coward. Selfish, entitled, privileged coward. If you ever want to know how pious a man really is, bring him before Herod the Great and see what he'll say to save his own neck. Herod dismissed his guests after that. They left quickly, eager to get away from the king and his palace. After the room emptied, I began picking up the shattered pieces of pottery from Herod's chalice. My hands shook. I felt sick. It wasn't until then that I realized my hope lived that there was still some small part of me that believed that God would keep his promises. That I had chosen to hope. In the days that followed, the tension never eased. I took some comfort in the fact that even if the priest had truly given away the location of the newborn king, Herod was too ill to hunt him down. He could barely walk, let alone ride a horse all the way to Bethlehem. He was a great conqueror in his youth, sure, but he's too sick to leave the palace now. Plus, Bethlehem is a whole town. 
It's not as if the priest gave Herod a name or a neighborhood. I sometimes found myself praying for the safety of a child I wasn't even sure existed. I wasn't sure why. One thing I knew for certain, if Herod wanted someone dead, they were dead. He'd even made some of his murders look like accidents. And I'm talking about fully grown men. What chance did a baby have? None, I told myself. Absolutely none. And yet, I hoped. A few days later, we were once again asked to prepare a feast for Herod and his guests. As I brought bread for the dinner table, I heard Herod inquire about a star. And I knew. I quickly put down the bread and retreated to the corner. The meal was less tense than the last. Everyone ate, and it didn't last long. Herod asked when the star first appeared. I watched Herod feign interest in the star's appearance as he nodded and listened intently to his guest's excited chatter. Herod can be very charming when he wants to be. When the meal was over, Herod stood, smiled, and told the men, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I may go and worship him too. The blood in my veins turned to ice. Of course. Of course he would find a way to locate the child. I should have known. Everything in me wanted to run after the strange men as I watched them thank Herod and file out of the room, but my feet felt like lead. My mind was screaming, but I couldn't move. A month passed. They never came back. I thought it was over that they never found the special child, or that if they did, they were at least smart enough not to come back here. I thought Herod would be forced to let it go. Until today. Until this morning, when the commander of Herod's army, face covered in dirt, eyes sunken and hollow, sword stained with blood, walked into Herod's chambers where I was serving him breakfast and informed him that he and the other soldiers had successfully slaughtered every male child in Bethlehem under the age of two. Just like Herod had asked. I ran out onto the balcony and could hear crying coming from the city streets. My vision went dark. I fought the nausea in my stomach, trying not to be sick. When I came back in the room, Herod was smiling, satisfied, pleased with himself. God has failed to keep his promises. He has left me here to serve a king of the Jews who is nothing like the one he promised. It seems the only prophecies God knows how to fulfill are the ones from the weeping prophet that no one wanted fulfilled anyway. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead.
All of Bethlehem is screaming. There is no hope for them. Is there hope for me? The king of the Jews, God promised, was supposed to rule with fairness and justice. The king I serve rules with selfishness and greed. The king of the Jews, God promised, was supposed to be wise and understanding. The king I serve is shrewd and merciless. The king of the Jews, God promised, was supposed to care for the poor and oppressed. The king I serve only cares for his own power and control. The king of the Jews, God promised, was supposed to save his people. The king I serve kills them. Men, women, and children. The king of the Jews, God promised, was supposed to be righteous, truthful. He was supposed to be a servant, like me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to frighten you. You're gonna be okay. You are. We don't serve Herod out of love. We serve the kings of this world with bowed heads, pounding hearts, and trembling hands, in fear because we have no choice. But a king like the one God promised, the prince of peace, the suffering servant, that is a king I would gladly serve for the rest of my life. That is a king who would change everything. Who will change everything. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout all the earth. God promised us a true king, a Messiah. I think sometimes we have to choose to believe that God will be faithful, even on days like today, where it seems like he hasn't been. Hope is dangerous, yes, but to live without it is perhaps even more dangerous. Hope is a choice, and it's a choice worth making, especially in situations like ours. And don't misunderstand me, hope is not a feeling. It's not pointless optimism. You and I live in pain and suffering, I don't deny that. But we still have a choice. You and I have no control over anything that happens to us. I haven't had control over anything in my life for seven years. But we have control over this choice. We can choose to hope in the God who sees. The God who sees barren women 
and blesses them with children. The God who sees oppression and brings his people out of slavery. The God who sees a widowed Moabite woman and provides her with a new home and a new husband. The God who sees a terrified king-to-be and provides him with a great friendship. The God who sees a young man sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers and raises him up to serve at the right hand of the Pharaoh. The God who sees a young mother rejected by her own family, lost, and finds her in the wilderness. And the God who sees you and me. So, I will choose to love the Lord my God, and I will choose to believe that there is hope for everyone. Because if God can do all of that, maybe God will keep his promise to send a new king. Maybe there really was a baby. Maybe the foreigners were right about the star. And maybe there was a warning. And he's safe. And if the Messiah The one true king has been born. No, Herod the Great, no king of this world will be able to stand in his way. Herod will be expecting his dinner any minute. But before we go, why don't we pray together? Bow with me. Abba Father, we thank you so much this morning for sending Jesus, the King you promised. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that all the prophecies about your son were true. Thank you for always being faithful and trustworthy even when we are not. Father, this Christmas season, some of us feel alone without hope. Some of us aren't sure where you are or why things have turned out the way that they have. But I ask this morning that you would remind every person in this room of the hope that we have in your son, Jesus, who has never for one second forgotten us. I ask that you would remind each of us who you are and how valuable we are to you. I ask all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the one true king who is alive on the throne and here with us this morning. Amen.